Oh, this is me being cold because Nickel wanted me to do an intro that had some acting in it. But you're the actor here, Nickel. Right. Oh, well, I, I am. I am freezing. Right, sharp, outside in the sharp snow. video games. Right, hello and welcome, which is what I wanted to say. I wanted to do a hello and welcome. Hello and welcome to the first one more go of 2013 yeah. on this snowy winter's day in January. We hope you have all recovered from your video game hangovers over Christmas and New Year. Yes, uh, this is when we go. That's Barry who's been speaking to you. Barry hello, Joppin. Barry, here Hay. again. Sorry, I spoke over you. Who are you? I'm Nickel Hay. I'm Nickel you don't Hay. look like Nickel Hay. Are you sure you're Nickel Hay? I'm a brand new Nickel Hay for 2013. He's mm. been snowed on and it's freezing because we've been outside making snow sanics. Totally. We made, I made a snow tails and then decided it was too furry and demolished it. <laughs> yeah, and then we... What, Got into making that horrific bat woman with the really pronounced chest. That's Rouge. Rouge, is that what she's called? Aye. Oh, oh, that's terrible. See, Nick- Nickel was first introduced, I think, is that when you saw those sort of... We were out at Christmas and uh, there were some Sonic playing cards kicking about. Which was that tells the first you all time about you... our partying. Exactly, yeah. aye. Was that the first time you'd seen the sort of really expanded Sonic characters then? Yeah, that was the first. Like, like before that, it was just sort of like Sonic and Tails and Big the Cat. But no, there's there's a bat lady with massive doos. Aye, uh, there's a there's an entire world of furry terror just waiting to be discovered. Yeah, well, moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on, it's 2013 and we're here to talk about retro video games. Tell us more about games. Right, yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Christmas was nice. I think, like, because uh, just before Christmas, uh, some very clever people came out with a virtual machine to mean that you can play Grim Fandango. On your new, uh, on your new fangled uh, computers, and Grim I know in the first episode fangled. I said that like you know like um, Day of the Tentacle was one of like my formative video games, but I have to admit Grim Fandango is probably Tim Schafer's best game. Oh, I agree. Realised. I'd agree with that. It's definitely not as funny as Day of the Tentacle, but um, it's it's so epic in its scope, and you know the graphics were just revolutionary at the time, um, and it's great. So you know, go out there and get a hold of it. It's a broad game, like certainly is. It's a terrific game, but I'm I'm disturbed about your Christmas because we're sitting here in Barry's man cave and he's got an advent calendar that's got chocolates from the twentieth of December onwards, uneaten. When it gets to the twentieth, the drinking kicks in and the, your appetite's the first thing that goes. Really, this is the most clear expression that you are a grown up. That you have uneaten chocolates in your advent calendar. It's so depressing, isn't it? I think by law you're not allowed to eat them now. You say, you know, it's a statement of being a grown-up, but you should point out that the advent calendar is resting on a giant unopened Lego set. So, <laughs> just to balance that out there. Again, unopened. All right. Unopened. We're all about the dichotomies here. Yeah. Like, we really are. The other thing that I've noticed is that Barry's got a new official Nintendo wall planner. And right across the top of it says, be prepared for what could be the greatest year in gaming history. Could be. Could be. We just don't know at we this stage. We just don't know. I think it's very, very hopeful when you look at the Wii U release schedule for the next six months. It's got a lot to do, really. Hey, in Nintendo, you've got a lot to do in that last six months. To You've got to come up with an unexpected, entirely new Mario game. Exactly. You can't put out a, a wall planner with sort of vague boasts on it and then release nothing for your flagship console for the first six months of the year. Pikmin 3. Of course, of course. You always get that feeling, though, sort of official, especially the official Nintendo magazine, it feels so removed from actual Nintendo. Like, they have as much of a clue 
about what's happening at Nintendo as we do. I feel <laughs> well, you know, they they watch they watch Nintendo Direct and they're like, all oh, right, okay, that's their primary news source. Like, well, it's because like you know, official Nintendo magazine is based in Europe and therefore has very little contact with Nintendo. Totally, whatsoever. Who just sit behind the wall and yeah. occasionally throw out tidbits for us, but. <laughs> okay, so have you been doing anything retro-y? I'm, um, with my Christmas money, I bought myself a Super Everdrive, which for people who are unfamiliar, is a, a PCB board, it's like a SNES cartridge that you get, mm-hmm. you plug it into your SNES and it has an SD card slot, or mine has a USB slot on it too. Um, Executive model. Totally, and basically you can flash SNES ROMs directly to the hardware, which means you can play SNES ROMs on an actual SNES with an actual pad. Oh, it's so good. It's glorious. You get you get like a 16 gigabyte SD card, and there you go. You can put every iteration of every SNES ROM that exists on there. Pretty much. We were, what were we playing earlier? Saturn Bomberman 5. Super Bomberman Super 5. Bomber, yeah, we weren't playing Saturn Bomberman. You just Saturn can't Bomberman. say Bomberman without tagging Saturn on at the start of it. Well, it is the best. But so, Super Bomberman 5 was pretty good. I was playing a lanky guy with a fedora, and I that should, would never have happened without the Everdrive. I should point out that I won that, because when last time when we played Saturn Bomberman, you won, but when we played SNES Bomberman, I won, so... So we've got to play like uh, Virtual Boy Bomberman to decide oh, who's the winner. Oh, that'll be great. If anyone out there wants to challenge us at Bomberman, you're more than welcome to. We're fairly confident we'll kick your ass, though, just to let you know. This is the only game we're confident at this about. Pretty much the I'm only I'm going to game. get on to later talking about how bad I am at video games. There seems to be a, a, there seems to be like a thread that runs through all our podcasts as you being terrible at video games or crying at the darts. <laughs> 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 have you been crying at the darts this month uh, I did you know Chris, there's a lot of darts on the yeah, P- PDC uh, World Championships uh, over Christmas and the whole time I was watching those <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about you crying <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about child, childhood nickel with a tear running see, down that, his that face that just makes me you know I'm sure Phil the Power Taylor when he was 12 and learning the darts I'm sure he cried when he was in like his 8th hour of practising throwing darts at the board. He probably did. But that's what's made him the incredibly successful sportsman he is today. Ah, he's the greatest darts player of all time. You're just shite at video he, games. He is. Can't compare the two. <laughs> so aye, we both had a good Christmas. We both got video game stuff. I'm going to be playing a lot of SNES games in the future. I feel, like I, I feel like I should play more than just SNES games, but there's so many to get through. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, that is a pretty solid library of amazing games, and now you've right. got access to all them. I think if anyone out there has any games in particular that they'd like us to play through, um, just get in touch and we'll let you know if we played them or not. We're always looking for, yeah. for recommendations of stuff that we may have forgotten about. Someone recommended replaying Blast Core to me recently. Uh, yeah, which, N64, right? Uh, yeah, and that's yeah. a beauty. So uh, if yeah. anyone has any recommendations about games that they'd like to hear us play yeah absolutely get in touch we do have an email address at one more go podcast at gmail.com and we've also got the tumblr which we forgot to punt last week but you know right. like well barry likes the tumblr I barry's do like the, the tumblr. person who tells me that he likes the tumblr so. i don't really post anything on it nickel does all the posting and i just go on and look at all the funny pictures but yeah it's full of lovely video game gifts and nostalgia and and great little stuff so get, and you don't have to be on tumblr just to look at it just go to one more go podcast.tumblr.com and surf the nostalgia wave that's it feel free to chat us up and on the note of chat um, let's talk about some video games um, what are you talking about this month? I am going to discuss the the end of the Mega Drive era with oh. Vector Man ah. and yourself? I will be discussing Soul Blade on the PS1 
Fightan game. Mid-era. Totally. Relevant. <laughs> we plan this stuff. Yeah, man. To, we do. The, to an inch of its life. Okay, right. Let's have some music from Vector Man. You going first, I? Oh, of course. We discussed this. Right. Vector Man. <laughs> Let's do that again. Within an inch of its life. So Nicole, tell us about Vectorman. Okay, so Vectorman came out in 1995 for the Sega Mega Drive, and uh, it is a 2D side-scrolling platformer where you play a robot called Vectorman. the The game is set in 2049, where humans, specific. yeah, yeah, very, very specific. Um, 2049, where humans have messed up the planet to the extent that they've gone off to colonize other planets and they've left a bunch of robots in charge of cleaning up their mess. But robots called Orbots because uh, they're all made up of these sort of floating spheres, uh, mm-hmm. which is different. Orbs. Orbs. Good word to say. Orbs. Orbs. Um, but while they're away, one of the high level robots called Raster is uh, in one of the the most gloriously stupid video game storylines I've ever heard. A lesser robot accidentally attaches him to a working nuclear warhead, which becomes his head, and he calls himself Warhead. He goes mad and decides to take, declares himself ruler of the Earth and begins preparing to execute any humans who dare to return to their planet. Jings. Warhead, he's a giant robot with, with a nuclear a missile head. for a head. Jeez. It's, Superb, uh, but Vector Man was like. I think he don't jump on his head to kill him. Then, no. um, well, let's find out at the oh. end of the. No, you don't. You shoot him. Uh-huh. Uh, Vector Man, uh, like, is basically just like a, a a bin man. Like he like transports rubbish to the sun to dump it into the sun. So he was away from Earth when Warhead took over the entire network and all the robots on Earth. Uh-huh. So he decides, well, this is a sham deal. Better get about destroying Warhead so that humans can come back. I don't know why he doesn't just sort of party with the other robots. Yeah, but, totally. You know, he wants to do it. It's his decision. Um, so, yeah, so you got Vector Man, uh, who can shoot things out of his hands and run and jump and do all those sort of general, fun, side-scrolling, platforming things. So uh, it was most notable at the time because it had, like, similar to Donkey Kong Country, it had sort of, like, pre-rendered 3D models that were then yeah. digitised to use as sprites. When I had, a, I had a wee shot of it and I was... It's sort of, it's certainly one of the best looking Mega Drive games. Yeah, well, well. like I say, it came in '95, so it was like right at the end of the cycle for Mega Drive, and it was like one of those games that you get at the end of every console cycle. Where you're just like, "Well, that's not possible. Aye. How how is that happening on that machine?" Uh, and also, you know, it was really sort of recognised that this pretty much the last sort of major game that was going to come out for the Mega Drive. Like it's '95, like uh, uh, the PlayStation and the Saturn were already on on the block nobody wanted to do anything that didn't have a CD inside it yeah. spinning around so was it was a pretty big release yeah I mean well you know it wasn't it wasn't it, it was like a big release for a dying console but they didn't it wasn't pushed as a sort of a blockbuster yeah yeah, yeah. I mean like you know so it's made by an American software house so like and like even in you know, like that era, like that was kind of unusual because all like the sort of AAA games really did still come out from from Japan, Japan, unless they were like sports games from EA or, you know, Midway's Mortal Kombat series, which sort of took over some things. But, you know, um, it was from an American company called uh, Blue Sky Software, 
who had been going for quite a while before this, but like only ever um, specialised in like shovelware, really, like mm-hmm. ports of other games, some sports games, all licensed things. They did like Jurassic Park games that were utterly terrible. Mm. Now, if you remember back to when we were talking about Donkey Kong Country, I was wary about Donkey Kong Country at the time because I thought the graphics looked too good. I thought it was going to be too shallow. And oh, yeah. I, I seem to remember when I was 14-year-old me looking at Vector Man and having a similar sort of uh, reaction. Also because, like I say, like the character models are based on... They're figures that are made up of sort of like floating disconnected orbs. Uh-huh. Like There's like a big circle for the body. The arms are made up of sort of like series of... Look like, look like characters from Balls. This is exactly what I'm going for. Balls was a game that came out in the Mega Drive the year before ah, and see. was turgid. Balls is balls is balls, funnily enough. Yeah, it is. Fucking oh. balls, mate. Yeah, that that was like a one-on-one fighter with characters made up somewhere like ah, pre-rendered That's balls. what Vector Man reminded me of. Uh, and, you know, like I think that was a big hump for them to get over, people mm. just remembering Balls. Again, like, I researched Balls, apparently... Balls was released during Christmas time with an advert that just said, tell your mom you want balls for Christmas. That's some ad exec just sort of going, oh, I've got a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to sell a ton of these. Hopefully. Kids love balls, right? I mean, I played it for the SNES at the time. It's a piss poor game. Terrible. Terrible fighting game as well. Just Ter- a terrible yeah. game. But. Just terrible, terrible game because it was kind of in 3D. So there was a lot of ball-related stigma on it. Like, when yeah, 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 yeah. Vector Man. There would have been for me. If I'd saw it at the time, I would have been like, this is boz, total boz. Too much boz in my face. Uh, but no, it's great. Like, it's not uh, what you normally say in that yeah. yeah, so like at the time I was wary, but you know, really realised that this was going to be more or less the last sort of major game for the Mega Drive, and so it proved. Like after this, um, how, did you, how did you feel about that? Well, I mean, I you already had a Saturn at this point. I didn't have the Saturn yet. Oh, so the Mega like, Drive was still your, yeah, your workhorse. Yeah, this was still my my main gaming thing. Mm. And you know, I realised I was going to have to upgrade to you know PlayStation or Saturn or N sixty four. But at this time, they were still expensive. You know, Saturn was like four hundred quid when it first came out. Good thing you made the right decision there. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely back the right horse after that. Part of me was sad that, you know, it was going to be the last Mega Drive game, but, you know, I was, you know, I was, like, the future was so close that I was just excited about moving on once I could afford to. Um, I think it's more sort of sad when when looking back to realise how much I spent, how much time I spent with my Mega Drive that it was the end. Mm. But then I suppose... To be honest, I got more attachment. I think my favourite consoles would be like my Saturn or my N sixty four. Yeah. So like, definitely, and we might discuss this a bit later when we're looking at like we we ask the viewers for some of their viewers. That's nothing. Nobody views this. Nah. Unless they're looking right at their iPhone while they're. Uh, it's for the best that they don't view it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not let's not pull back the curtain too much there. We don't want to ruin the illusion. Yeah, uh, we ask people about their sort of memories at the end of the year, but like. Um, like certainly for Saturn, like my last game was Burning Rangers, and I really realised that that was the last game, and that that was sort of more of a oh well, mm. got by a Dreamcast, mm. uh, but back to right horse again, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, like so that was sort of like end of an era sort of game. Like the only major releases after that, um, you had a, a version of Micro Machines called Micro Machines Military, where you were like running around in tanks. That only came out in Europe. I don't think Micro Machines was ever that big outside of Europe to be fair even in America I don't think they they really embraced it even on like the PlayStation ones I've only ever like seen that. British people talking about it to be honest so 
You also had uh, the Mega Drive version of Sonic 3D, which was like the only other no way. Mega Drive uh, exclusive. Yeah, Flicky's Island yeah. came out on the Mega Drive, which, as we discussed before, is is a terrible video game. Um, you know, as you know, sort of video game life cycles will do. Like Mega Drive sort of limped along to like '98, '99 with like you know the annual FIFA releases and like multi-format things, but that was it for exclusives. Uh, apart from Vector Man 2, which was only released in... Uh, oh, no, no, it wasn't only released in Brazil. It did come out in America as well. Oh, right. But, uh, yeah, it didn't come out in Europe or Japan. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah. That's odd. Uh, but, yeah, but... Um, Strange yes. how, in Japan, certainly, consoles seem to live far beyond their life cycles everywhere else. I mean, they were still making NES games up until 1994 in Japan. Yeah, and like, like for the Japanese market. Yeah, Adventure Island 4, I think, was the last Famicom game to come out. Certainly, I mean, like, Brazil's one, because they always kind of lack about three to five years behind, yeah, like, you know, the sort of... behind the curve. Like, the uh, the Western world's... Perhaps not anymore. Thing. I'd say no, with, with PC gaming, certainly, I know that there's a lot of... There's a big Brazilian MMO scene, like... Well, you know, like, like digital distribution, sort of, like... Takes out of the equation. You know, yeah, PCs, it's definitely. easier to upgrade your machines yourself. But, yeah, you know, the con- like, console market's still... I mean, certainly, like, I mean, like, PS1 was still massive in uh, Brazil when PS2 was dying out just because, you know, I mean, like, there's 170 million people, so there's a market, but it's not generally a lot of disposable income around mm-hmm. there. So, like, it just wasn't profitable for Sony to release the PlayStation 2 there. So, you know, like, they still got, like, new games made for PS1 for the Brazilian market. Just take a minute silence for the PS2, our uh, now the very recently departed. dearly departed friend. That'll do. Yeah, yeah, but it was poignant. Mm. Like one single tear rolling down Barry's cherubic cheek. Um, did you did you play Vector Man on your Mega Drive? No, sadly I couldn't. Like, uh, See, I know the, the answer to this, yeah. but I'm just asking to set you up. Cause... Again, like twitching behind the curtain, people would have just sort of uh, thought, you know, we were super I just, I'm, I'm just happy that you're one of us now. <laughs> you, you've crossed the line. Yeah, well, when I went home for Christmas, I got my Mega Drive down out of the attic, and it turns out it's, it's just a wee bit broken. Like... Um, Graphics output's weird. Like if lots of things are moving, the 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 image just goes super fuzzy and just doesn't work. That's weird. It's so weird. It's like the solder's broken on one particular chip. I don't know if that's a thing, or you know whether it's just. Oh, I don't. I don't know from electronics. I don't know what I'm talking. It'll about. just be full of stuff from your teenage years. <laughs> full of stuff. Aye. Full of stuff. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so my Mega Drive's not really working, so I had to download an emulator and uh, a ROM for Vector Man, which is fine because I own a copy of Vector Man, which yeah. I bought in 1995, so that's absolutely fine. So played that on my laptop, which was fine. We're well, not course, playing it with that pad. Played it on your Mac laptop. But yeah, so it ran fine, and uh, yeah, it was a lovely trip down memory lane. The game itself, which I'm sort of aware that we've been talking for about 10 minutes now, I haven't actually touched on what the game's like. Um, I mean, it's really fun. It's quite inventive. Um, the interesting thing is, like, Vector Man has, like, as well as sort of like various different guns that he can shoot from his hand, various different types of ammo. He, at uh, various points in the game, can turn into other things. Mm-hmm. Like his body can, like, he sort of transforms into other modes. Uh, most of the levels are just sort of straightforward platforming with sort of exploratory elements. But yeah. you can turn into like a drill to like go go through walls or a bomb to oh, okay. blow up enemies and things like that sort of open up uh, other parts of the world which kind of weird like the, the first level is huge it's labyrinthine and like at the end of the level you get a counter sort of telling you how many uh, like the collectibles in this thing are called photons they're just sweet bits of light 
yeah. sort of thing. I don't know. And the, the the sort of item boxes are TVs which you shoot um, to get like power ups and things like that. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the level, it tells you whether you've uncovered all the photo, like you know, like X out of Y photons, X out of Y TVs. But there's a really strict time limit on Vector Man. Although about five minutes level, and if you go over it, all you right. die. And there's no continues in the in Vector Man. So you have one. No, you, so you got you got like five lives, five and you can lives, pick up more, but extra no lives, but no continues. That's such a such a Mega Drive thing. Yeah, and it's basically impossible to search the whole level in one, one. five minute chunk. Uh-huh. So it's immediately laying down a challenge. Like if you want to properly complete this game, you're going to have to be amazing mm. uh, and never die from enemies. Are you? Amazing. I am not amazing. I am. How did I, how did I know that? Like how, how did I get terrible guess? at this? It, I mean, it, which Crying is... at the dark. <laughs> um, yeah, like um, it's. I mean, it, it's really hard, but in a way that you know, proper sort of uh, old school games were hard. Like it's Aye. completely fair. Like you know, it's always your fault that you died, that you just sort of like ran into an enemy that you knew was there, but you ran in anyway. So you, you you very much went through the same sort of thing I went through with Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, absolutely. Just sort of like unbelievable that 14-year-old me had the time and patience to play this game as, totally. as deep as I did. Um, so in the end, like, you know, I, I quickly realised, right, I can't get like, you know, sort of 100% completion on this. I'm just going to have to go through it as best as I can right. without running out of time limits. Coward. Then I realised I'm not good enough to do that because everything will kill me as soon as I look at it. Mm. Unfortunately, there are um, difficulty levels. Uh, the standard difficulty level is wicked. Oh, Hard okay. is called insane. Okay. And easy is called lame. I am very much lame. Did you play on lame? I played and on still lame. And had... still, and still could only get, like there's 15 levels, could uh-huh. still 16 levels, could still only get about uh, five levels in before losing all my lives. Dear listener, I had to cheat. So not only were you lame, but you're also a cheater. You're a lame cheater. I'm a lame cheater. I had to go into GameFAQs and find the cheat to get, like, Nicole. sort of top up your health whenever you want. And that's the only way I could complete this game. Nicole. It's very, very hard to admit. The first first proper cheating we've had on one more go. Um, but yeah, but but the, the great thing about it is is like it's still fun to play. Like even though it's so hard, even though, and you're, like I say, even though you're cheating, yeah, it's not unfair. Even though you're a filthy cheating bastard, it's still <laughs> the fun game. To play. Let me know at the end of the game. Oh really? When I completed it, it came up so like, well done, you've saved the war, the, you've saved the earth. Now play again without cheating. Really? Yeah. Said that oh, denied oh, me. Oh. Like I went on YouTube. There's like a whole ending sequence. So you don't get to see. That you the don't get it. Endings. You don't get it if you cheat. That's you cheat once. Don't get it. And I cheated a lot. That's interesting. Does it tell you that, or do you, were you aware at the time that if you use the cheats, you don't get to see the end scene? I'm pretty sure I didn't complete it when I was a uh, when I was young. I think I've got memories. Like yeah. some memories got me as far as the last level but I'm pretty sure I never killed the last boss the structure of it there's no real sort of rhyme or reason to one level falling off from the other but it sort of intersperses like sort of um, explorey 2D platforming levels with shorter levels that are basically just boss battles but you've been turned into something else Uh so the second level uh, you're on this railway track which thanks to some parallax scrolling looks like it's about 200 miles above the surface of the earth okay uh, and you've been turned into a train. So you're going along this, and uh, Warhead is like jumping up to grab the track like a monkey, mm-hmm. like 
grabbing bits of the track and hanging onto it and shooting bullets at you. And your idea is that you've got to shoot at his hands to make him let go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember this from when I first played the game and I'd forgotten it before when I like came to play it back. But I died like sort of three times in a row because like, you just sort of like, you're you're on a train track, you're going straight towards his hands. If you don't shoot him off quickly enough, you'll hit his hands and lose energy and he shoots yeah. at you. And that's when you realise, even though you're a train, you can still jump. Ah, I see. <laughs> you're meant to jump a over jumping his hands. Train. You're a jumping train, which is pretty cool. Um, but the best one... The best one is a boss level called Staying Alive. All right. Which like takes place in a disco oh, yes. with like lighting up different oh, colored yes. dance floor. Warhead is basically in the DJ booth spitting lightning at you with like um, a gap in the DJ booth wall that sort of like scrolls around like on like sort of north, south, east, west. Uh-huh. That's the only gap you can shoot in. Vector Man has been turned into basically a Tasmanian devil whirlwind thing okay. who's just skiting around the dance floor slightly uncontrollably trying to line up with this gap awesome. in the DJ booth to shoot him while Warhead is also throwing little whirlwinds at you that bounce you everywhere alright it is bananas it makes zero sense does it play staying alive while this is happening no no well that's the thing actually the music's, the music's really good you'd really yeah. like the music I don't know if you've listened to the, the YouTube video so obviously you'll have heard that music at the start of this review that we totally, played yeah, I heard that. in the I heard studio that. that's, that's, that's diegetic <laughs> good word um, but uh, yeah, it's like some sort of good sort of mid nineties acceptable techno. Like uh, I Why? think it was uh, yeah, sort of like acceptable techno is the best techno. I think it was kind of riding that uh, that wipeout aesthetic. Aha, uh-huh, cool. I definitely remember the second to last level, which is set in a TV studio where apparently Warhead's broadcasting all his controlling the robot vibes. Okay, but in the background of that, you've got various screens which show like a really short, like second long animated gif of Warhead just sort of going, Rawr! and that blew my mind oh, really? in 1995. <laughs> Full motion video, even for a second, Aye. on the Mega Drive. Outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. It is a very good looking game. I don't think it quite matches up to SNES 32 Meg standards, but it is good. Yeah. It's certainly the best... I'd say uh, maybe it's the best looking Mega Drive game that I've played, to be honest. Even though I had a Wii shot. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm struggling to think of anything that, like, like in that in those sort of terms, looks better. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sonic 3D was a nice looking game and it was right. much smoother. Shame it was than... total ass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, Vector Man still looks nice now. I think it sort right, of it suffers does. in comparison to Donkey nice. Kong Country, partly because it's slightly underpowered but also because it's it's much less cartoony it's yeah. going for a more sort of gritty gritty yeah. boz <laughs> it's going for the boz uh, and it and it definitely gets there Good. but yeah um, it's still great fun to play I mean I don't this is an interesting thing it still kind of amazes me looking at those like animated gifs and the graphics and sort of going I can't believe a Mega Drive's doing this Yeah, I can't imagine if any sort of kid now looking at it would appreciate just how they'd be like, well, those are Aye. those are crappy old graphics. Like, shit, kind of like I, I can't let go of that feeling of knowing what a Mega Drive should be able to do yeah. and what they're doing. Mega Drive should not be able to do it. That's a good feeling, though. That's sort of the good thing about the end of a console's life cycle is you don't really notice while it's happening. But when you, even if you look at like the first Xbox 360 games mm-hmm. and look at the Xbox Three, like I mean, just think of like two sort of high-profile examples. If you look at like Prey, for example. 
and then compare it to like Skyrim or that. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Absolutely. You forget how how much a console improves over the course of a generation, and for those early consoles especially. So do you reckon Vector Man was a pretty good send-off then for your experiences with the Mega Drive? Absolutely. It's a nice way, like, I think most people would agree that, like, that whole era and the Mega Drive in particular were defined by side-scrolling platformers. That's Aye. really what that era did the best. I think some people might have an argument for, you know, SNES is doing one-on-one -on -one fighters well, and Mega Drive did sports games generally quite well. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, side-scrolling platforms for me were where it's at, and Vector yeah. did did something pretty special. So how it. how could anyone play it now if they wanted to? Is it available um, on anything other than? It is. It's on various sort of those sort of Mega Drive Mega collections that you ah, get on like uh, everything. You know all the platforms. You know those sort of things that have got like fifty games. Including Sonic 3D. I'm sorry, I can't yeah. stop you owning Sonic 3D. But you can also buy it on the Wii Shop. Oh, that's so, handy. So yeah, yeah, that should be downloadable for you. One other thing that's interesting about the about the game is like now I'm going to basically quote from Wikipedia here about this one. Sega held a play-to-win promotion offering Vectorman players a chance to win $25,000 as well as numerous other prizes, including several $10,000 prizes and free Sega Saturn consoles. Upon completing the game without using cheat codes. Select Vectorman cartridges would display a flashing "You Win" message with a special phone number, where the player could call in and register as a winner. Twelve-year-old Keola Koala of Albuquerque, New Mexico, was the winner of the grand prize, which included twenty-five thousand dollars, a VIP tour of Sega headquarters, and a starring role in a Sega TV commercial. Hopefully, she used the twenty-five grand to move somewhere else and change her name and divorce <laughs> her parents. Keola Koala. Uh, Kaola, I think I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm assuming that's not really her name. Kiola's in uh, inverted commas. I think that might be a gamer name. Kiora Kromola. <laughs> what a combination that would be. Totally. But you know, like, like aye, that's amazing. Kid, aye, like, that is random amazing. cartridges. That's like that's like golden ticket Willy Wonka aye, stuff. It is very very cool. But you think about the percentage of those cartridges that would have had that code in them mm -hmm. that people would have completed. Because bear in mind, it is a, a lot of them would have been unsold game. a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like end of an era. I suppose I, I wish I had like you know sort of figures to know how well it did Aye. at retail. That's a very cool thing, though. Because you know it was like sort of like last major game, but you know well, it wasn't Sonic. You know it wasn't like, you know anything like that. But, Aye. Uh, it, it's all. It, it's also kind of reassuring to know that your fourteen-year-old self would not have stood any chance of winning any of that money. None, none at all. You know, it's, and I, and I bought myself a Saturn. So you know, what does I it say how old? Kiora Kromola was. She was 12 years old. 12 years old. Two so years your junior and could complete it without cheats. Kicked my butt. Totally. And she deserved her starring role in the Sega TV commercial. Oh, imagine you in a Sega commercial. Imagine that one, like, I, I put it on the Tumblr, like the, the, uh, like the Sega Saturn TV advert when Nights came out. Oh. <laughs> Just slagging off the PlayStation rotten. So, so gritty. That was, I see when they market sort of light-hearted games in that American way. It's the classic thing about how all the American Kirby box arts, I don't know if you've seen this, no. but like every time a Kirby box art goes from Japan to America, they give them angry eyebrows. <laughs> Amazing. There are like 10 or 11 examples of this. Grim and gritty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. That's the things that's what you have to do for the American market. Well, I was reading up, because Barry's going to do Soul Edge, spoilers, mm -hmm. um, I was reading up about uh, Bushido Blade. Oh, oh <laughs> so good. Um, like, 
in Japan, when you get like a critical hit in Bushido Blade, it's just like a spark of like light. Yeah. And in America, they they added blood because Americans when they take like the blood is so gratuitous as well. Amazing. I just remembering like it's like Mega Drive's big um, uh, advertising slogan in America. Well, for the Genesis, I guess was uh, uh, Sega does what Nintendo don't. Totally. Like like they were pure at each other's throats in the nineties before, well, Sony won. Hi. Well, that's. Uh, I think that's more or less everything I want to say about Victor Man. I do think it's worth playing now. I think it's. I think it's a fun little artifact of the time. Don't know that it's like a a great game like that sort of stands up in its own right in the way that maybe a Donkey Kong Country uh-huh. or a Knights does these days. Partly because it's not particularly unique. You know, you. I mean, probably if you wanted to play one with like the treasure side-scrolling platformers, you'd probably see more imagination and yeah, more yeah. fun in it. But um. As Sounds a like a good challenge, at least. Definitely. Which a lot of modern platformers don't offer. A lot of games don't. I mean, what's the Aye. hard game now? Dark Souls and nothing. Aye. So, yeah, I mean, like as an artifact of the time, it's definitely something worth visiting. And that is what we're all about here at One More Go. Revisiting Boz. Transcending history and the world, a tale soul and swords eternally retold. So Barry, yes. Soul Blade. Soul Blade. Soul Blade or Soul Edge as some people know it. It was Soul Edge outside of Europe. That's right. That's, for yeah. copyright issues, as is, is always the case. Soul Edge, we'll call it Soul Edge for now until I start talking about the PS1 version, was released in the arcades in 1995. Um, as anyone is familiar with it, will know it's a f- weapon-based fighting game. Um, 3D fighting game, in the sense it was you know 3D models, and it kind of has it has that axis where you can mm-hmm. kind of move about in a, on a 3D plane almost. Um, it was ported to the PS1 in 1997, um, an enhanced sort of port. They added some stuff. Uh, they added features from the sort of second iteration of the arcade version, and um, it's a very, very good PS One fighting game. It's my favourite PS One fighting game. Um, cool, it is. I mean, it is three D in the way that that Tekken was originally. Yes. And it, it's the same. Is it the same developers or just the same publisher? Um, all Namco, as is the case with the great sort of PS One fighting games. But um, Soul Edge was developed by Project Soul, who obviously then went on to develop the entire Soul Calibur series, which is now you know one of the big series. Um, it's the first game in the Soul series. It sort of sets up all the lore and a lot of the characters for all the the subsequent. Soul Calibur games. Um, it's only the second sort of 3D fighter to use to be weapon based after uh, Battle Arena to Shinden, another PS1 classic. Yeah, like never really got on with 3D fighters generally compared to like one on one beat em ups, but I, I played to Shinden and it was so poor, it Aye. really put me off Soul Blades completely. Ah, that's a shame. I think a lot of people were in that position where they felt that Tekken was really the series for the PS1, but I honestly think that, well, I mean, this came out eight months, and in the UK, Soul Blade came out eight months after Tekken 2 did. Fucking blows Tekken 2 out of the water. Like, playing Soul Blade, then going back to play, playing Tekken 2, it's like walking around treacle. It's like Tekken 2 is so slow. 
well, compared yeah, to Soulblade. I think that as well is something that really put me off 3D Fighters. Like, like Tekken was obviously the first one that I, I played. Though I had, do remember seeing uh, uh, the arcade that was on like the top floor of Debenhams in, in Glasgow. I don't know if you remember that. Do not one. remember that, no way. No, yeah, they used to have like a, an arcade uh-huh. um, at the top. And they had like Virtua Fighter machines as well as Virtua Racing. Quality. Seeing Virtua Fighter for the first time was just... Oh, mind-blowing, mind-blowing. But that was quite fast compared to Tekken. Tekken is very slow. And because um, Soul Blade was so obviously a takeoff from it... I I'd been used to... I, I mean, at the time I'd been playing stuff like Street Fighter 2 Turbo and like Primal Rage and Killer Instinct and that. And so... What are you shaking your head at? Killer Instinct is so bad. <laughs> so, aye, so Tekken 2 is just like a slow game. So whenever we'd have like, you know, you'd have your sort of adolescent sleepovers with your mates and that and the game that would come out would be Soul Blade every time because no one wanted to play Tekken 2 because Soul Blade was just infinitely better mm-hmm. um, so as your sort of 3D fighting game um, it has several things that they all do you know what I mean it has all the same modes as an arcade mode a you know survival mode as team battle modes and stuff which is cool um, and you know I think there are a roster there's a sort of wider character there's not a wide character roster as Tekken had, but you start off with your sort of nine or ten characters, and then there are a lot of unlockables. Um, something I'll touch on um, is a thing called Edge Master mode, which I'll come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, the thing that sets Soul Blade apart, despite how fast it is, is the fact it's weapon based. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And with these weapons, you know there are a lot of mechanics. You have like a weapon gauge, okay. which you use to perform special moves, which are ABK moves. And Soul Blade, so use the the A, B, and the K buttons, and um, which would be on a regular setup would be square, triangle, circle, oh, okay. um, and then you know you use like a special move and it'll expend a third of your weapon gauge, sort of thing. And when you run out of weapon gauge, if you block your weapon, shatters, and you can only fight with your fists, which basically completely so, nullifies your character. So your your weapon, your sword, has got an energy bar. Yes. Um, and every so you I mean you have a life bar too obviously but you have yeah. to be you know weapon special move economy is definitely important um, so what's your range of characters like you've got like the big bruisers and the little jumpy lithe girls you do I mean everyone has a different sort of a, a really unique move set and a really sort of unique weapon style that suits their you know their movement speed um, you have characters like Valdo obviously a Soul Calibur classic who uses guitars which are like the sort of three-pointed claws. Not guitars. No, not guitars. Or Qatar, the sort of really heavy flame that builds up at the back of your throat. Totally. Different games, different games entirely. Totally, different. Um, so you got that, and then you got like Mitsurugi, who's sort of like a Japanese swordsman, uses a katana. Uh, Sungmina uses like a kind of naginata, like a pike. Um, Cervantes, who's like the big bad pirate, he uses the soul edge, which is two long swords, oh. um, which I'll come back to. Um, Taki uses a wee, a wee knife. She's a wee ninja. Um, Siegfried, a big European oh, bruiser. Knight. Yeah, 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 yeah. He uses giant sort of long sword. And obviously, range is a very important thing. Um, as with all fighting games, there'll be that one guy that goes that one character that uses that one move, and that's definitely Siegfried forward triangle, like the range of, of his sword poke. All oh, right. Sure. Which is that? Is that Dalzini or is it? Yeah. Uh, it's it's buggy. You can certainly exploit the ring out mechanic in Soul Blade very easily by using certain characters. That's another thing. Something that you didn't get on two D fighters, but it seemed to be a staple for three Ds. Ring, ring outs. Out. Ring outs are 
again, something that comes into play a lot in Edge Master mode, which I'll come back to. But ring outs are very much. I, I like to employ ring outs in my playing strategy. Is that is, is that like the more technical, the more the more sophisticated way? To it's win? not, but it's just something that's there, so you may as well exploit it, kind of thing. The thing I like about most was when I was watching Soul Blade gameplay videos as research. The guy who uploaded it, whenever he knocked somebody out of the ring, would immediately jump out after them. Aye, same. They're like big floating platforms. Same. Just be sort of like, oh, I won. Whee! Yep, and you can walk off. Yep, that's a classic. Um, so you have that 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 sort of your kind of basic fighting element with the weapon system on top of it, which you know makes it really cool. And you have the the stages look really. I mean, graphically, it looks really nice. Like the character design is cool. Each character has three or four costumes that are all really sort of uniquely designed. They're not just... A couple of them will be like, you know, recolors of the same skin, but there are more than one skin costume, you know what I mean? Um, different character portraits for the different costumes as well, which is right. cool, very cool. So there's a lot of sort of character differentiation there. And there are unlockable characters too. Um, for example, you unlock an alternate skin for Siegfried, which is basically where he first becomes Nightmare. Um, you get the Soul Edge... And he becomes sort of dark Siegfried, okay. which is becomes the nightmare character in sort of the later Soul games. Oh right! So this very much does lay down a lot of the the lore. For anyone who doesn't know the story behind the Soul games, there is an ancient cursed weapon called the Soul Edge, and that's basically it. And <laughs> the Soul still in more the, complicated the, than most fighting games. Yeah, the Soul Caliber games do introduce the Soul Caliber too, which is sort of the its, its other half, um, but. The in soul, soul non-alcoholic lager. <laughs> totally, that's it. Oh, good. Um, so Cervantes, the pirate, he is the holder of the Soul Edge in Soul Blade. Um, you know, so he's the sort of the last boss in arcade mode. Then when you beat him, um, sort of you, you have to fight Soul Edge, who's like a sort of reskin of Cervantes, like a big flaming skeleton that wields the the Soul Edge. So it's like the swords are controlling the fighter. Aye. Oh, oh, metaphors. And that's what happens to Siegfried. You know, you get the Soul Edge, and his every every character has sort of an ending, and then an alternative ending that you do by doing sort of different things. That, for example, in Valdo's ending, um, you have to press up and down on the D pad really fast, so he rubs the sword, like because you know Valdo's. If you've never seen Valdo, he's a he's a sort of very very tall, very thin, bald man that okay. like wears a lot. Of, he's blind and he wears a lot of bondage gear. And like uses these massive claws. He's my favourite character. He certainly is, isn't he? <laughs> and so you know, you got Valdo. This he's basically a gimp who, like in his end scene, he gets the Soul Edge, takes it back to his master Verchi in his tomb, and is like rubbing it against his face. He's like, "Yeah, I've got the sword." And you do that fast enough until like he rubs his face against it and it shatters the sword. <laughs> but there's one of his, one of his costume reskins. He has this massive pair of pink smiling lips, and like it's. <laughs> fucking impossible to do it because he has like this these massive lips and this like ridiculous oh, head oh like still in the like, end sequence aye <laughs> so you're trying to do it and you're like laughing your ass off at this like big pink lipped gimp rubbing a sword against his face oh Japan I know so every character has you know their end scenes and they, they have, have their own storyline like, wacky unlockable characters like didn't like Tekken have like a panda or a kangaroo and stuff aye like that. Roger and Alex and all that um, no to be honest Soul Blade's characters there's two sort of unlockable Sophitia who she's like a kind of wee Greek swordswoman she's sort of like the, the fan service element of the game and there are two unlockables for her and she becomes like less and less clothed with each unlockable I'm sure uh, boobsy yeah well this is it I mean for anyone that's played a Soul Calibur game they will know that it's mostly boobs but 
they first sort of really started establishing this in Soul Blade. So, so Soul Calibur's got the boobs, Dead or Alive's got the jiggle? Pretty much, man. Um, on the subject of jiggle, one of my favourite things about Soul Blade is the intro sequence. I wish I could show you the intro sequence. Like, if you've not seen it, go and watch the intro FMV. It is my favourite PS1 intro FMV. I mean, we played the song there coming into it, but the, the, the sequence is great. But there's a, there's a, a classic bit of boob jiggle with Taki nice. in, that, in that intro sequence. That nice. really set the tone for the whole Soul series. But. How old were you when you were playing this? Oh, we would have been 97, so how old that would have made me? 11 or 12, probably. So, so quite enjoying the boob jiggle there. Yeah, man, getting there, getting Target to that audience. point. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so you have your arcade mode and all the characters have their things and, you know, they have their end scenes and that and all very good and it's traditional fighter. But you have this thing called Edge Master Mode, which was sort of redone as Weapon Master Mode in later Soul Calibur games and then they removed it altogether. Um, I didn't play Soul Calibur 5. I played Soul Calibur 4, which had no Weapon Master or Edge Master Mode, which made it a really kind of just a fighting game. Mm. But this is why Soul Blade is so good. In Edge Master mode, you pick a character and you basically fight through battles to get other weapons. Okay. Each character has eight weapons with generally their last weapon being the Soul Edge. Right. Like you get the Soul Edge for each character. Um, and every weapon has obviously different stats. So what this format is, you're on like a map and there's a storybook. Uh-huh. And it'll tell you, this is your character, this is a bit of background about them, and this is what's happening with the Soul Edge. And then you fight through a series of battles that have storyline tacked to them, and then it culminates in you fighting Cervantes and fighting Soul Edge, and then getting the Soul Edge for right. your character. Okay. So you'll get a weapon after most battles, and it'll have different stats, like I said. like One will be a really fast weapon, one will have high defensive stats. Sorry, are these variations on like your character's own weapon? Yeah, they're right. completely... Oh, right, right. They're different. They're different models. So, like you know, like the European knight can't like pick up some nunchucks or anything like that. No, like Siegfried has like eight swords. Oh, right, for okay. example, eight long swords. Um, so you'll. But I mean, the good thing about it is the battles won't just be fight and win. They'll have stipulations like you have to win by ring out. You can only deal aerial damage. You have this much life, and you have to win in thirty seconds, kind of thing. Barry held his fingers very close together there. Very close together. So this is where the different weapon mechanics come into play. Like some weapons will have really high attack value and will really they will recover your life bar, but they will have like incredibly like high weight, so it makes you really slow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I mean, this is where finding a character and liking their style is one thing but you have to incorporate their weapon style too because right. you know they have so many weapons that you could be really good with one weapon and be terrible with another um, so there's a much more strategy involved in this exactly so what I did was I played through everyone's edge master mode mm-hmm. unlocked all their weapons and this was when you really got good multiplayer yeah, this when was you had ask, when you had a, 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 yeah you had a full roster of characters that had a full roster of weapons. Oh man, yeah, there's, there's some decisions to be made. Exactly, in your late night sleepover parties. So you could do five on five to the the fun of the multiplayer aspect of Soul Blade is the fact that you get different weapons. Um, it gets to the point obviously where everyone is fighting everyone with Soul Edge though. So yeah, um, and so, like all the weapons, they look kind of cool, but Soul Edge always looks cool. Everyone that gets the Soul Edge, it looks cool. Um, yeah, so like, like it sounds like the yeah, it's um, it's a fighting game with its actual nuances, the weapons plus the depth plus everything like that. It's sort of like it's like it, it's really standing apart more than a appreciated. It is. It's very time. cool. Um, so 
eleven year old Barry, twelve year old Barry that we mm. discussed here. Like, was this like a big social game for you? You're talking about the multiplayer aspect. I didn't have it. I have it now. Um, I played it on PlayStation. Um, um, so at the time, it was one of my mates had it, and like when we do like the Friday Saturday night thing, we're going to his, he'd come out of mine, and we'd play mm. Soulblade to the max. Like I got more playing out of that than I did out of, like I said out of any of the Soul Calibers. Right. Um, it's if people can deal with the fact that it's a bit slower and graphically, you know, it's a PS One game. I'd say it's the best game in the Soul series, just because all the characters had to be thought out for the first time, so they're all great. Whereas in the later Soul Calibur games, a lot of the characters are really just reskins of early characters. Mm-hmm. For example, there's Lee Long in Soul Blade who uses a three section staff, kind of. In a nunchuck style, mm-hmm. um, or maybe he does use nunchucks. Can't remember. I think I saw this in the in the uh, um, my research. Like when Soul Blade came out, UK law still banned the use of nunchucks in all media. Uh, so like he had nunchucks in Japan. Three section had to staff be turned into a three section staff. So maybe in later games he's got nunchucks in Europe. Well, this is the thing. In Soul Calibur, he was pretty much reskinned and replaced by Maxi, who had near Maxi enough. Maxi pad. <laughs> Nicole, come on now. <laughs> Just hitting each other with sanitary towels. Sanitary towels linked with a chain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're really effective against, like, you know, certain people are really... At, like, They'd be good in Bushido Blade, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, one hit, one hit, use sanitary towel attack. Like, then they fall over, they just run away going, eh, eh, eh. Then every time you want it to play, like, the body form, jingle. <laughs> That'd be the most euphoric victory music oh. you could get. For something so unrelatable, that music will stick with me for the rest of my life. Like, Yeah, just at any moment of triumph you have, when you get a promotion, you're just like, Whoa! We shouldn't be talking about this. Why not? This because is... it's media that's going to be released into the public and we're talking about body form. <laughs> this, is, this is something that... This is perfectly within the One More Go wheelhouse because it's shared media that, that, that brings us all together with nostalgic elements, with remembering what it was like to have these things and not really understand them one little bit. Totally. So Soul Blade. Yeah, what about that? Um, so where were we there before we started talking about... Oh, Maxi, of course. So for example, you know, Lee Long became Maxi mm-hmm. and, you know, Rock... A big character when Axe became Astaroth and so on and so forth. A lot of characters were phased out. And really the only new character in the first Soul Calibur game on the Dreamcast was Ivy. All the rest were kind of reskins based on sort of Soul Blade models. Hmm. Um, obviously not based on the models, based on the characters. Like yeah, yeah. Keelik, for example, is pretty much Sungmina. So they really got all their ideas and innovation out in that first game and then just kept refining it afterwards? And then there was a, you know, they, they were always planning with Soul Calibur to start pretty much again, but in the end, they didn't. But really. that's kind of way fighting games go. I mean, that's like the template oh, Street aye. Fighter 2 set down. But, you know, like, every new one was just a little bit better. And, I mean, there are characters in Soul Blade that are still in Soul Calibur games. Obviously, Valdo is in all of them. Cervantes is in most of them. Um, then you got, like, Taki and Mitsurugi. And a lot of those characters are still in. Soul Calibur games and there's a lot of people that are Soul Calibur fans that haven't played Soul Blade and that kind of blows my mind a wee bit I love the fact that Big Bad's called Cervantes it's like it'd be like having a final boss called Shakespeare Cervantes de Leon yeah that's mental and he's a big pirate he's one of he's not my he's my second favourite character behind Valdo he kicks a lot of ass like you have made it through all my minions and now you face the might of Charles Dickens Uh, that'd be pretty good 
a fighting game where you fought various literary <laughs> figureheads throughout history. Edgar Allan Poe would be a dick. Also, should point out that whereas the Soul series is not my favourite series of fighting games, that accolade belongs to the Guilty Gear series, um, if they'd made the Soul Calibur games to the same standard as Soul Blade, mm-hmm. it would, because Soul Blade is brilliant. Soul Calibur, was, I was so excited about Soul Calibur playing it on the Dreamcast, but it just, it just doesn't, doesn't match up. Um, is that... I mean, is that just general gameplay, or is it the, the weapons elements, or the speeds? Or everything. everything. The, honestly, man, at the time, playing Soul Blade, then playing Tekken 2, was like night and day. It mm-hmm. felt like Tekken 2 was like a previous-gen game. And then when Tekken 3 came out, it was still just as slow. It never never toppled Soul Blade. I think Soul Blade's the best, probably the best PS1. Beat him up, either that or Guilty Gear, I'd say. Guilty Gear have obviously been the best 2D for me. I might go Marvel superheroes, but then I'm just like that. Soul Blade, though, best 3D, I'd say, really good. Yeah, I mean, I don't the music think I can argue with as that. well. Obviously, every time I talk about a game, I always eventually get on to the music. And Soul Blade not only has one soundtrack, but three soundtracks that you can choose from. Oh, I tell you what, Soul Blade's also got that I enjoyed in the research. Like one of the one of the best announcers. Aye, the announcer is very good. <laughs> This grueling battle was won by Siegfried. See, see, even if you do like a one-hit ring out, he still says the grueling battle. <laughs> this canter was won by Siegfried. So much of my time is spent playing Edge Master mode, cutting off the announcer. So much of... Valdo stood the get off. Valdo stood off. <laughs> Good announcer, though, eh? The audio... I mean, all the characters are voice acted, too. All right, I didn't catch any of that. I like cool. like title screens like "Welcome to the Stage of History." Uh, as you would have heard from again when we played that wee bit of music there that you heard that you totally yeah, the, heard the, that, that totally happened. Great yeah, I'm just reiterating answer. what the audience have heard and I've heard. Transcending history and the world, a tale of soul and swords eternally told. The greatest voice acted opening lines to any game ever. So good. That is that is some portentous epic nonsense I mean the good thing about there being the arcade iterations is that they could be a bit more adventurous with the soundtrack I mean you have the original PS1 audio soundtrack and then you have an orchestra arranged version of that soundtrack Mm -hmm. that are selectable then you also have the Can Super Session soundtrack which is just where they rewrote all the different tunes they recorded like a bunch of bands playing a bunch of by Can possibly the German prog rock band from the 70s (laughs) No. no there's a reason why it's called the Can Super Session but that's not why um, so, for example, I'll play a wee bit of this. You have, you know, the original Soul... When you fight Soul Edge, you have this kind of orchestral epic music that, you know, becomes, in the cancer procession, this total, like, orchestra hit-filled, total <laughs> metal tune, which I'll play a wee bit of right now. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, like even at the time, even now, it'd be unusual to have that many. Ah, selectable soundtracks, like yeah. with the fact that you have, you know, different characters with different costumes and different weapons and a different soundtrack. You could play Soul Blade one way with the character in this costume and this weapon and this soundtrack, and then come back and play it the next day, and it not be like playing a different game, but your character would look different, have a different weapon, there'd be different music. It's like that's cool. That's cool. That's very cool. 
Yeah, no, it does sound good, and it does sound like it still stands up to this day. It does. Unfortunately, though, you can't really get your hands on it on anything. It never came out on PSN. Hmm. Um, I think generally your best way of playing it is going to be emulating it, or if you can get a hand, like, get your hands on a retail copy. I mean, I played it on. I played a PS One original on PS Three, and it was fine. It works really well. Um, but I mean, emulating it's maybe your best bet. Could be. Could be, or just play Soul Calibur and think about. The way things could have been. <sighs> if anyone was like, oh, recommend me a soul game to play, it's like, didn't even piss a bit with that, that Yoda, Yoda and Darth Vader and that. You just blade I mean? it up, mate. I ah, get Soul Blade on the go. Like. Just blade it up. I have a lot of good memories of Soul Calibur anyway, though. Um, I tweeted a bit, a bit about this recently. Um, we used to play, my mate had original Xbox and he had one of those screens that clipped onto the top of it. Oh, yeah. So we got a bunch of car chargers and we used to play like Soul Calibur. Like the the Xbox one where you could go spawn, uh-huh. and we used to play Soul Calibur driving around the back of his car, and there was a time where um, I played to my mate Franco, um, he was in the back of the car with the Xbox, and I was in the front, so I couldn't see the screen, and I played him as Valdo and just like beat him about three times, Wait, which is why I'm considered the the reigning Soul Calibur champion of the now destroyed Fiat Punto that we used to. Wait, 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 right. So you couldn't see the screen. Couldn't see the screen. Still beat him. You're driving in a car, mm-hmm. which is in motion. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I had to cheat to get through Vector Man. Exactly. Well, that's pretty much ended all those arguments. Let's move on. Let's move on. So that was Soul Blade, and next we're gonna take some take quest- some correspondence. Take some correspondence from the community. So back in a wee minute. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, because Vector Man was the end of the era for the Mega Drive. We asked, we asked the good public whether they had any end of the era games that they knew at the time. Things are happening, man. Totally. So, first person who got back to us was uh, Mr. James Trinka of Game Wank fame, who you know well. Yes, James. Yes, James. What okay. did James have to say? James said that he got Alien Breed 3D2 as the last gasp of his Amiga days, came out when the machine was officially dead and was utter shite. Heartbroken. Oh. So it's a shame for the laddie because I know he was really into Alien Breeds, Aye. the actual game, uh, the first game. That is a shame. When, like, when the total last gasp sucks, that's proper heartbreaking. It's a weird thing for machines like the Amiga and that as well, though, because Amiga's like still had like sort of limped along with a life of like just being like a computer for folk who couldn't afford PCs. So like Aye. you know they were still in use and things like that. Just folks stopped making games for them and mm. that. So Jim did bring up that they brought out an Amiga version of Wipeout twenty ninety seven. Did they? Yeah, after it had been on. Uh, like it was apparently only on like the really high end twelve uh, hundreds and four thousands with power PC accelerator cards. Came out in like nineteen ninety nine. I did not know that. Neither did I. I'd never heard of it. But you know, Wikipedia confirms this story. Who had an Amiga in nineteen ninety nine? Like somebody wanted to really play Wipeout twenty ninety seven. That's what the pr- that's what the Prince tunes about. It's about folk that had Amigas in that year. Wipeout didn't come out in the Amiga. Wipeout twenty ninety seven did though. Jesus. That is somebody who just like had a project and wanted to I see it through. I love that through doing this podcast when we totally find out ridiculous stuff like this. Well, I also found in my research like there was a version of Tishinden came out in the Game Boy. What? 
I was assuming it wasn't in 3D. Street Fighter Alpha also came out in the Game Boy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think there's like a lot of really good like Game Boy beat em ups that just. No, I don't think I've ever they, played a Game Boy. They weren't good. Oh, were they? They weren't good. I've played Street Fighter on the Game Boy. Mortal it's... Kombat came out in the Game Boy yeah. as well. Got one from uh, Mark J. Patterson, Mark Otansky, Livingston's favourite son. Um, he says, the last game I got from my original Xbox was Max Payne 2, but that was only at the start of last month. So, <laughs> not really something that he felt at the time, I guess, but I asked him how he felt about it anyway, and he says, it made me feel pretty sad. Max Payne 2 is my second favourite game of all time. Well, why did it take you this long to get it then? Yeah, exactly. Maybe it was just... Uh Maybe put it on the, the PC. Hole in the collection or something no. like that. But ah, that's um, Max Payne 2, obviously a, a great game. I hadn't really thought about... Like, I, if I couldn't have t- told you what came at the end of the Xbox's life. It was probably like a copy of Steel Battalion that only like three people played on their extra special controller. Quite possibly. Um, but no, that, that's an interesting one, um, Max Payne 2. Certainly not a game that you'd think would come at the end of a, a generation, but I guess it probably did. So I'm sorry for your loss, Mark. Uh, Fiona uh, Barber, who's my friend, I didn't even know actually even played video games at all. And she's she, your friend. She's well, you're she, such a good friend. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Do you even know my name? <laughs> uh, you're Bilbo. You're not Bilbo. That's a terrible joke. Let's cut that one. Out. Bilbo Swaggins. <laughs> You've redeemed it. No. Um. Yeah, Fiona told me that she she not only did I find out that she had an N64, but the last game she got for it was. Well, she just says Gecko, but we figured out that she meant uh, Gex, Gex, Enter the Gecko. Is that that one where he's kitted out as James Bond on yeah, the cover? Yeah, that's the one. That's <laughs> one. Um, she got Gets the Gecko. That era ended with a breakup. He got the N64. I got my life back. I miss the Gecko. No. I think that's like. He must have been a that must have been a terrible relationship for you to think that giving up an N sixty four was, you know, worthwhile. Maybe they shared a lot of special times on their N sixty four. Like I, I recall in, in a relationship playing um the Pokemon Stadium mini games with my girlfriend at the time. I totally did that as well. Uh, totally, yeah, she loved the Licky Tongue game. Totally <laughs> were you, were, <laughs> That's the most excited Barry's ever been. <laughs> were we maybe like going out with the same last thing we just didn't realise it like. uh, I hope not because she, she would either have been way too old for you or way too young for me you try to say like maybe that that's a weird thing though um, ladies if you also were well into the Lickitung game on Pokemon Stadium get in touch we yeah, put totally. together some sort of sociological study about why this is the case yeah that was a really cool game it especially was. when you made Lickitung eat wasabi <sighs> and he went mental to be honest the mini games in Pokemon Stadium were maybe better than the actual Pokemon battling. Yeah, that, that's oh, it's so painful to say. I was so excited about the stadium because, like, in those in those so era, that, in those era of Pokemon games, you couldn't go back and like you couldn't get new opponents for your Pokemon. Uh, so I thought, oh great, Pokemon Stadium will get new opponents. I can gain XP. I could. Oh, you can't gain XP. No. Can't gain XP. Nonsense. Just keep battling the Elite Four forever. That was the game I've been the, the, the most excited about in my whole life. And then when I got it, it was a feeling of just horrible disappointment. So, yeah, just to wrap up on Gex, Gex Enter the Gecko, I asked Fiona about it. She said, yeah, the game was great. He was like a cheesy James Bond. I asked her what the boyfriend was like. She said, uh, he thought he was like James Bond, but had the brain of a gecko. <laughs> Sick burn. Sick. Ice burn. Sick burn to that guy who's probably still playing his N64 and crying for the wo- the good woman that he lost. Totally. High five, Fiona Barber. You may have lost the N64, but you've won the war, I guess. The, the gecko war. Totally. 
Okay. What? Right. What? What are you insane? <laughs> I don't know. Zero Emerald says, last game from N64 is Banjo-Tooie, yonks after release. I was saddened by the lack of proper stop and swap for the secrets in BK, assumingly meaning Banjo-Kazooie, not Burger King. Um, I can kind of relate to this one because um, I obviously played Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie. And even if you got it after release, I mean, what was around at the end of the N64s? Life cycle, big games like Conquer. Yeah, Conquer um, was the Jet last Force game. Gemini. A lot of rare oh, games Jet, Jet actually Force came Gemini. towards yeah, the end yeah. of the N64's life. Banjo Tooie was great, um, and that's definitely one of the maybe was one of the last ones that I really, really played mm-hmm. on the N64. Um, because by that point, I had a place, to, I had a PS1 as well, and I was playing a lot of PS1, and you know, they'd kind of the PS1 eventually overtook the N64. Um, but yeah, stop and swap something that was so hyped for those of you that don't know there was this whole thing about how you were supposed to be able to switch out the banjo tooie and the banjo kazooie cartridges and it would unlock stuff in banjo kazooie but it was just bluster from rare i think they'd always intended to do it but it just never happened we see i researched this because i'd never heard of it before Mm. um and apparently like they were excited about it they wanted to put it in but um nintendo refines the n64 architecture so originally like on like the very first ones you'd you would have been able to take a game out and like it would stay in ram for like eight seconds uh-huh. and then they refined the architecture and you only had one second which wasn't long, long enough, enough to, to, to swap the cards they did add it to the when they they re-released banjo um and banjo 2 for the for like xbla and that they did reintegrate the stop and swap but apparently they kept on like teasing all these secrets and things like that that you'd be able to do in Banjo-Tooie long past the point where it was blatantly obvious it wasn't going to that's, happen. That's the way Rare operated in those days, though. It was like, you know, the end of Banjo-Tooie where Gruntilda's like, I'll be back in Banjo-3, still waiting, Rare. It's like if Peter Molyneux was just blatantly trolling you rather than actually genuinely believing with the core of his soul that he can do impossible things on a Saturn. Aye, aye, aye totally. All right, uh, finally, uh, Evil Ninja Phil... Um, Says like the last game he got for his Saturn was Panzer Dragoon Saga, tanned it in three long summer days, and it was brilliant. Yes. And that is a great enemy era game. Like probably the what most people would consider the killer app for the Saturn. Killer app, bro. Yeah. Um I asked him whether he sold it. I don't believe for... he just used the term killer app. That's a perfectly It makes a lot of sense though, word. because you own an iPhone and an iPad <laughs> and a MacBook. So I guess killer apps is part of your regular vocabulary. My, my glass the Rims of my glasses are pretty thick as well. They are quite thick, actually. Um, yeah, like so. I asked him, like, you know, like, did he did he sell his copy of Panzer Dragoon Saga? And that's when I came this, this heartbreaking tale of woe that no, he don't like where this is going. He loaned it to a guy he went to college with, along with Knights with the three D controller, Saturn Bomberman, Guardian no. Heroes, Marvel Superheroes, Super Street Fighter Alpha Three. And the guy dropped out of college a week later and he never saw all those games again. See, if someone gave you all those games, you would drop out of college, though, eh? Yeah. You'd be like, right, I'm only here to play this sod education. Well, well, he doesn't need it. He's probably retired in his proceeds of selling Panzer Dragoon Saga. So ah, yeah, no doubt. Like, that's, that's the end of that. Is that how you got me that copy for Christmas? Is that where that came from? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Cheers, man. It's, it's been a long con, but I think it's, it, it's, it's come together. Um, yeah, this is under, like the, the, the last game I got for the Saturn was Burning Rangers, which, like, Saturn era was interesting because, you know, it, it was sort of vaguely the same length as PS1. Obviously, Dreamcast came out, like, a couple of years before PlayStation Aye. 2. But 
the writing was on the wall for the Saturn after about six months, certainly in the West. It was clear that PlayStation had beaten it and that nobody was going to suddenly embrace Saturn as their platform of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, no Sonic games ever came out. This, like, So Burning Rangers was the big Sonic team game and it was basically the last mm. sort of attempt to make a Saturn-only game that would sell Saturns. And it was really good. You, uh, that's the thing I find is you totally get gold at the end of a generation. Once they've actually figured out how to program for the machines, especially Saturn, because it was just a nightmare. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Burning Rangers, that was definitely a game that I played, realising that you know I'm probably not going to get any games from my Saturn after this. Totally. The one that always, The one that always sticks in my mind as being so weird is like, obviously Twilight Princess. Uh-huh. Being like the end of GameCube, but also the you know a Wii launch title. It's like yeah, such yeah. a bizarre thing. It was the first time where there wasn't a massive gap. Um, you know, the generation jump was a bit like, all right. So, but again, like, well, which is you know why graphical fidelity now is reaching a point where it's pretty much peaked for the time being. I think. I think a lot of people are expecting a lot of things from the next console generation. I don't think they're going to get it, to be honest. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's just hope Crisis is not the future of gaming. Totally. I don't think it is, to be honest. There's enough of a backlash about games like that. No, because this could be the greatest year in gaming history. It could, could be. be. It could be. It's. It could. It's so. It's so close. It's Everyone, go and pick up a copy of Official Nintendo magazine if you too would like that motivational slogan at the top of your wall planner. Is there anything coming out this year that you're particularly looking forward to? Uh, Here's the bit where we talk about non-retro games, where we talk about actual games that are coming out. Uh, right, well, you've sprung that on me. Uh, Last Guardian will definitely come out this year. Yeah, man. Last <laughs> Guardian. That's going to be amazing. Half Life Three. That's going to be. <laughs> Totally amazing. Duke Nukem Forever. That actually came did out, come out and it sucked ass. <laughs> oh, God, can you imagine if mm. uh, Last Guardian comes out and turns out the final boss is Duke Nukem? Oh, I know, I know. Um, yeah, can I? That would never happen. <laughs> no, no, there's, there's a variety of reasons why that There's a not in universe where that is happening right now, though, which is terrifying. Pokemon X and Y are coming out in October. Oh, of course, that's going to be great. Bayonetta 2 is what I'm most hyped about. Yeah. Nino Kuni in a matter of weeks. Matter of weeks, is it that soon? Mm-hmm. Mm. In the meantime, we're going to be playing old games. Totally, we are, and we have some, some very, very, very special games planned for next month. Yeah, well, we're going to do something a bit bigger, but something a bit more relatable than Vector Man. Yeah, something oh. apocalyptic in yeah. nature. Could be. But in the meantime, this has been episode four of One More Go, all about games that we used to love, games that we still love. Games we hope that you'll love too. Keep your eyes on the Tumblr. Keep noising us up on Twitter. And we will see you next month when the very world itself will be ending. Hooray! Hooray!
You got.